0: Hi there, welcome to the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host, Gary Turner. Um, You're joining us on episode 74. Um, We've really reached the three-quarter century, which is pretty cool for what was an experimental podcast set up um, in May 2018, as I personally couldn't find any, any podcasts that are having the conversation around the human behind the job title. Um, so I'm hoping that if you are a regular listener, and um, welcome, and thanks for joining us. If you're new, please do listen in and give us some feedback about what you like, what could improve, be improved, etc. But episode 74 is with Eleanor Snare, and for the first time on this podcast, we have got a witch—a um, little bit tongue-in-cheek, but uh, Eleanor calls herself the business witch. And do you know something—for good reason—this conversation is so interesting, so diverse, a bit spiritual. Very, yeah, very visionary, I would say, and just really, really quite inspiring. And yeah, I think you're going to take quite a lot away from this conversation. Um, A couple of the key takeaways I'd like to leave with you just to give you a flavor of this discussion was that Eleanor mentioned that a lot of the problems we have as a human race, in brackets, are because we have become fundamentally disconnected from ourselves and from each other. It seems like a bold statement, but I really want just to leave that with you for a second. You know, we talk about self-awareness, we talk about vulnerability. How connected are we? How often do we feel our feelings? How often do we take the time to reflect on what's going on for us rather than just reacting in the moment? Really, really powerful comment that for me. And the other thing I just wanted to leave you with before I let you get on with listening to the amazing Eleanor is she said... Uh, one of the perennial challenges for consultants or people trying to work with uh, leadership teams is that will you spend a lot of money and time on realizing you're not as great as you thought you were, you're not as sorted as you thought you were. So really, really interesting to think that when you're trying to serve people out of their own way, um, as I did previously with my Have Courage um, online summit, it's not always easy to reach people because people really need to accept that they're not perfect and that they don't have all the answers. So there's a little bit of an intro give you, a, give you a flavor of what's coming up. We'd love to hear from you, both Eleanor and I, via the different social media platforms. Or indeed, if you've enjoyed the podcast, I'd really, really appreciate it if you could offer a rating on the iTunes podcast app or other um, platform wherever you listen to these podcasts as it will allow us to reach more people with this deeply human value through vulnerability podcast. And uh, until on the other side... Hope you're listening and enjoy the chat. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And this morning, I'm very grateful to welcome Eleanor Snare onto the podcast, who is affectionately known, I'm heard. <laughs> as the business witch. So, please, <laughs> welcome to the podcast, Eleanor. We're going to explore that hello. today.
1: <laughs> yeah, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to talking about all things witchery. This is what I'm going to turn it into, just a witch-based podcast. No. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about some of these themes because they are really kind of dear to me uh, in my work and um, personally as well.
0: Lovely. Well, look, as we get going, it'd be really appreciated if you can take a couple of minutes just to share with myself and the listeners now, what is your background, Eleanor, and where does that amazing title come from? <laughs> sure,
1: okay. The, I mean, the title of Business Witch is something that I think I was messing with a bit, but it's kind of quite a good, um, I guess it's a good articulation of two of the two main things that I do, which I've really struggled over my life professionally to bring them together, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why I'm so interested in this podcast is that human Aspect of it of work, so it's it's kind of I think when we were talking before before we started recording about how a lot of business advice is so tailored around this I, I suppose a very kind of economics uh, perspective or even behavioral economics of like people behave in this way they look at use value they look at profit they look at loss, whereas I've always felt that you know if but if people aren't happy it doesn't matter. Like it, all of that stuff goes out the window if you haven't got some f- like kind of fundamental people feel respected, they feel seen. And I've always been very interested in kind of, um, I suppose, paganism and alternative or old Northern European spiritualities where the wit- the character of the witch was really important. So that's someone who is, tends to be a bit older, has a wisdom that is harder to define, um and was also very, very considered to be very, very dangerous to lots of establishments. And I would say that in a way that's kind of a, a position that I feel I have taken in the past when I've worked for other organizations is this kind of this rebel in the midst. And you're only rebelling because you're just talking about something that is is difficult for people to talk about, which is how they feel, how they think, um, how they can change those things. And the kind of almost the power of that internal monologue um and the power of those conversations to really change the direction of what they do so mm-hmm. business which is is from was for me a, a one of the i guess simplest ways of trying to wrap that all up in a parcel um i don't i think people like it and it is a it is an affectionate thing um but from my my background my professional background so um i did design at university then i did history of art ma and then i went into marketing as so many artists and creatives do kind of fall into it Um, and i was working with a digital marketing agency for a couple of years and moved over to an events and communications agency where we were doing lots of internal events so big things for you know telecoms providers some fashion brands like these massive you know 1.5 million jobs And we were doing it as this really sustainable business who was great at at kind of um, talking to people and communicating. We were really, really good at helping our clients get their colleagues on board, but we were really, really bad at doing that ourselves. Uh, And what I found as I kind of progressed through these different um, organisations was that I'm working with external, you know, working with clients who were big, like big household names, was that I was increasingly more interested in people and the communication between people than necessarily the communication itself. So while I was trained as a copywriter, and then I went into kind of content strategy and then comms strategy, I was more interested in the bit where you sit down and you go, well, how do we want them to feel, and how do they feel now, and who is this person, and really fleshing out. Like I'm obsessed with customer profiles because I'm just obsessed with people. Um, so when I went freelance, I kind of, although I went freelance as a copywriter, I ended up doing more and more people. Centered work. Um, So, more and more things like branding workshops where we talked about how confident people were in the future of the business, or marketing strategies where we talked about how people thought they had a right to be heard or not. And so, over the years, I've kind of more and more begun to focus on that side of it. And in a way, it's a harder sell than to say, I'll do a brand workshop or I'll do your marketing strategy or I'll do you some you know um, mentoring where we just like I tell you exactly what to do in your business and it makes you loads of money it's a lot harder to sell to say sit down with me you might cry but you will feel a lot better after having explained all these feelings that you're almost like wrapping up in your business so one of the things I said to a client recently was you you can't expect your business to kind of heal the holes in your heart And I think what ends up happening is a lot of people do that, whether you're a CEO or you're self-employed or you're working in a team. You think your work is going to somehow fill all these gaps that have been created over years of neglect or mistrust or a lack of communication, a lack of love, and it won't. Mm -hmm. It's there to be expressive and interesting, but you almost need to get rid of that bit and fill those in in a different way. And heal in a different way so that you can make the most of the work that you do um so yeah i don't know if that maybe it does explain it but it's quite yeah. it for me yeah there's a lot of emotional work involved with what i do but it is around it really focuses on communication when i'm working with clients and then in by myself um, i'm a writer and i also do performance poetry which i love um, so, there's kind of, it's all about that communication and the expression of emotions, and how can we recognize that that's kind of, for me, at the fundamental core of everything we talk about all the time. Like um, So, I've done nonviolent communication training, and that's a big part of that as well.
0: And I love that. I'd love to come back to that particular point. Sure, actually. Yeah. I think that's really fascinating. But what's come up to me straight away, and I find this so powerful is you spoke not only to the fact it's a harder sell to do that. How do we get, how do we stop? How do we get present? How do we give ourselves permission to take time to look inside ourselves? And I love love the way you spoke about that. You worked at an organization. It's so common, isn't it, Eleanor, where we're solving the client's problems or someone's problems outside of us or our organization, but we're never doing the inner work. And I think that metaphor translates, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And it is, it's, and the thing is, when you work at it was an agency. When you work at an agency, it gets even worse because it's this weird, like Inception level, <laughs> like the film. It's Like we're working with a client, and the client's working with their colleagues, and the colleagues are working with maybe their customers, and all along the line, some problems are getting solved, but not. It's kind of spiraling inwards, but not in a healthy way. It's just, it's like that um, old poem. Who is it? Larkin? Is it? Man, hands on misery to man, it deepens like a coastal shelf and it felt very much like we weren't we weren't encouraging people to almost have agency and empower empower themselves to to help at least navigate some of their own problems we were going in and saying oh well we'll solve this problem we'll get your colleagues engaged but then those colleagues were then going well I'm just being told to do this so I'm gonna it's like you're passing it on so yeah it is it is kind of ironic It would be amusingly ironic if it wasn't so desperately sad um, that there's so many businesses where you're giving and you're giving and you're solving so many problems and you're really great at it and yet no one takes the time to look at what they're doing in their own work or to get another expert in to look at it and to say, do you know what, we might be great with these clients but we need help, we need someone to come and help us uh, for ourselves. And especially, like, uh, I often say as well with things like businesses where the CEO was the founder, which happen, and you kind of have this legacy, or even where they're not, but there's still a legacy there. It's like living in the psyche of the CEO, working in that business. And so if that CEO hasn't done that work internally, isn't, isn't going to therapy, isn't going to a life coach, isn't having, like, time off, Everyone in that business will be like different representations of their neuroses. There'll be this. It reminds me of when I used to read the Beano when I was a kid, and there was this cartoon called the Numb Skulls, <laughs> which is like a guy's head that was sort of cut in half with all these little people and it controlling different aspects. And that's what it's like, I think, when you're you're in it. So it's not just self-employed people, although I work a lot with those people. It's CEOs and and leaders have a responsibility, and like a psychological responsibility, I think to do that but it is a hard sell it's basically like saying to someone will you spend lots of money and time on realising how you're not quite as great as you thought you were and you're not quite as sorted as you thought you were and there's loads of work you need to do and changes you need to make Like, I mean I wouldn't do that because came to me <laughs> so it's, it, is a hard, it is a really hard sell and I think it's uh, I'm kind of always really impressed and in awe of people who are just doing it and continuing to do it because mm-hmm. it is like an absolute slog to say listen i know this isn't this is going to feel counterintuitive and it's going to feel like where's well, the like with the whole thing with you know working with um improving morale or improving engagement within a business i think i read somewhere it's like the return on investment is like you're looking at sort of five to ten years and it's really hard to say to someone right now this is going to feel really hard and Not like a good investment, but trust me, you have to trust me that this is going to work.
0: Um, Yeah, it's it's really funny because you're for me, you're speaking directly to one of the the key ethoses of this podcast around around vulnerability, which is actually how do we, how do you, with the work you're doing, create that safe space for CEOs or leaders for entrepreneurs to actually say, it's okay not to know the answers because we've been brought up, haven't we, on an education system, our parents. It's been you're perfect gold star, you know, you're, you're faultless. Like we've not been brought up societally on experimentation and failure and iteration. And I think that's coming, but it's a slow burn. That's how I I don't know if you see that or you have challenge that. What's yeah.
1: I think people will like to perform vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's one of those, it's a fine line because when we recognize that something is like a hot topic, people start jumping on it and like telling these awful stories about their terrible childhood and da, da, da. and like you know Brene Brown is the person who's really informed my thinking about vulnerability but she is very clear that you don't have to share your vulnerability with everyone mm-hmm. and that you should pick and choose carefully because it's about people who are deserving of, of that story and that side of you so I think people are starting to talk about vulnerability more if that is I don't think vulnerability for me is telling a story about how like things used to be really hard. I think vulnerability is allowing yourself to kind of just be you in in all of what you are and not kind of making excuses or not kind of um pretending. So someone could easily pretend um you know as you say oh well like I'm doing well and to kind of put on this side of it but also tell these kind of vulnerability stories vulnerability myths and so they're just kind of reinforcing the problem in in almost like sectioning off vulnerability is something that you do that you perform rather than it is just part of what you are and Mm. to your point there about how do we help people feel that they can be vulnerable I know I've said before about described it as being like the canary in the cage is you go into the place and you are the one who says hey look it's okay to like air safe and you do that by being vulnerable straight up so i i've done um this year and i've done it for a, a few years now but go in and do different mental health talks about my mental health experience so i've um had depression and anxiety and all different sorts of like all the fun bundle of mental health challenges but going into an office and just saying hey this is a thing that I feel this is exactly the feeling I had this is exactly what happened Um just gives people permission as you say to and realize that the air is clean the air is safe you can talk about this it's okay um, and then in, in an individual basis when I'm working one-on-one with someone that's often about really listening carefully to the emotion that they're expressing And saying, Oh, that sounds like it's sad, or that sounds like it's angry, and kind of almost like letting them tread that path rather than doing the thing we all do, which is go, Oh, well, it'll be fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. It's not that bad, really, is it? But almost like leaning into the emotion with them and not being frightened of negative, in inverted commas, not being frightened of of those emotions, which as human beings, we're kind of uh, cognitively programmed in a way to avoid them because they they can be so dangerous to the, the health of the tribe. And yet they're really important to express them and collect, like, you know, I'm really interested in things like collective grief, collective anger, protest, things like that, as a way to, I suppose, process some of that. So it's almost like, you know, you have to be the one who says, I'm going to do this first. I'm going to stand up and be the one who does it first. And then when it's with the vulnerability and then when it's individually on that, that closer basis, it's really listening to someone and letting them have the feeling and not making it about you, just letting it be about them and where they are and coming to them. Does that make sense?
0: It makes perfect sense. And what I, I love Nova, the way you speak to it, it's so powerful because, you know, like you, big fan of Brene Brown. And I think one of the things I love about her most recent book, um Dare to Lead, she speaks about the fact that back uh, to your point about vulnerability, how you explained it, Eleanor, is and it really resonated with me, was around the fact that there's a lot of people in the cheap seats giving their view, telling you what they think it should look like, etc. But she speaks, and this matters so much to me personally. You listen to the people that are in the arena with you. You don't listen to the people that aren't prepared to get in the arena with you. And I think that for me is, is a, both a mental model and a metaphor is so powerful because that links very closely to courage. And I think this, this interchangeability or close connection between vulnerability and courage, I think is really interesting. Yeah, yep.
1: and I think people think it's about I remember my ex boyfriend wrote on the wall in his bathroom, he had loads of stuff written all over the walls. But he said, Bravery is not the same as courage. And we talked about it and he's like he said to me, oh the thing about bravery is almost like you just ignore you just go, Oh I just ignore it and just like plow on like heroes do, kind of almost idiotically, like in a superman way, just ignore it and carry on. But courage is saying, I am frightened and I will do it anyway mm-hmm. and that that kind of to take heart to go back like to a communication thing to take heart. It's like it's all right to feel two things at once. Mm-hmm. It's alright to feel frightened and to feel like you can do it. And that's that's where resilience as well is created in that kind of that um tension between the two I think is to keep going back to yes I'm frightened, yes I'm okay, yes I'm frightened, yes I'm okay. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Don't listen to the people in the cheap so it's all the or all the uh, cheap clothes <laughs> <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. the cheap outfits, yeah.
0: I think what I'd like to touch on as well, I love, I love, love this conversation already. I can look, I'm looking at the time going, I think this could be an hour and a half job. But no, I won't, okay. I won't, I won't do that to you. Um, but what's really powerful for me is I'm seeing a link between what we're talking about in our day-to-day, the work you're doing, and some of the bigger systemic challenges of how people show up. So do mm. people feel that they can within an organisational culture? Do they come from a tribe or a... A religious group that says they can do x y or z so i'm really interested in your view on the difference between personal accountability and maybe fear of challenging a systemic yeah. maybe sort of you know thought created made yeah. up sort of paradigm i'm wondering what the interchange is for you in your work and your personal beliefs on that
1: there's a, there's a really interesting um kind of a type of coaching that um, i find fascinating called systemic coaching which comes from a family-based coaching practice um and it was sort of developed into into systemic coaching and the idea that sometimes when people are coaching or mentoring an individual it can sometimes become hyper individualized in that we go oh this is one person with their goals that they work on almost almost in a vacuum now we know that's not true but it can kind of accidentally lead into that because it's so focused on the individual mm-hmm. so the idea with systemic coaching is that it always operates from a place of you are part of a system and one of the most fascinating aspects of the the work that i was reading was the idea of guilt and the guilt of leaving a system and i think that is one of the things that really people struggle with is the feeling that if i do this. I'm going to feel so guilty, I'm going to have let people down, I'm going to have been, have pushed away someone who really cared for me. So particularly around, say if someone was taught that um, in their family it's not okay to talk about their feelings. When that individual begins to talk about their feelings, not only is that a really stressful process anyway, but they're going to start to feel guilt and, and fear and embarrassment and a lot of pain around the fact they're sort of rejecting what they're parents have taught them so i think there's a lot of layers of that when people are coming into an organisation is that they they might feel guilt for leaving their old organisation if they move between teams like they've got different alliances there um if they even their relationship at home or their family relationship is informing so much of of how they behave in the workplace so sometimes i like managers don't like it when i say this but i think people who are managers are, are like parents in a way you know they're kind of have a parent a parenting process to go through, and that's again about taking for someone from within one system and bringing them into another and that can be really hard that is really difficult for people you because you're having to let go of you know maybe 20, 30, 40 years of how you were taught to behave and you were rewarded for behaving in that way and that I think is is, is really challenging to then Not only say to people, we want you to change your behavior, but we want you to change your behavior to a type of behavior that has kind of socially, culturally, economically never really been um, prioritized in kind of Western paradigm. Mm. So we've never really said it's okay to talk about your emotions. We've never really said it's okay to be vulnerable or to be weak in inverted commas. So they were kind of not only saying please change your behavior, it's like please change your behaviour to this thing that you're like we're all terrified of. Um I think that that's a big part of it. And also that it's about understanding whose um responsibilities it is. So this is where the thing of sort of ideas of allyship come in. Mm-hmm. So if someone is from um, a group within an organisation that has historically in that organisation or elsewhere been oppressed, subjugated, their voices have been dampened down, to expect them to do all the work to improve the organisation and change themselves and da, 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 it's a lot of work for that individual which is where it's like right okay people who've maybe been put in a position of power within that organisation already Perhaps it's also their responsibility to be looking around them and looking at the voices they need to raise up. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of, it's more about the idea of the system thing for me is like, I kind of fundamentally think we're not alone. I don't have to do this alone. And also I have responsibilities to people around me. Like I said with the CEO thing, you do have a psychological responsibility to people in your organisation. And the more, the higher up you get, the kind of more that becomes uh, apparent. But you have a responsibility to to look after yourself emotionally, to be able to communicate your own emotions safely, and to listen and and actively seek out the emotions, I guess, of others. So that, that it's it's kind of a group thing with a systemic thing. It's rather than going, oh, someone just needs to feel more confident and change their mindset and you know just like push through those barriers. It's it's like yeah, but if you're in a place where I don't know, you're the only person who identifies as a woman on an all-male board it's all right saying that but it's, it's everyone's job you know it's everyone's job to change how things are
0: it's do you know something it's, it's there's two books i've read recently, and it's so like powerfully eloquent honestly it's just so it really really does impact me because this parent this parental you know we don't want to say that work is like your home life But then at the same time, why isn't it? You know, this work-life balance term is something that gets my goat completely. Because I'm like, why should we have to change who or what we are as soon as we walk through the door at nine o'clock on a Monday because of a system or because of a certain culture or because a certain type of leadership? So I'm enjoying hearing more and more people talking about things like life, work, quality or just life. (laughs) You know, because fundamentally the more that we can just go through our life as the individual that Eleanor is and Gary is, but connected to a another seven and a half billion awesome human beings that are all unique but can add value in all directions. I know it sounds a little bit utopian, but I genuinely believe we're not that far away from that. If we can just start treating one another with equity and with care and with respect. And I think it's that base those base human elements for me is what's missing in a lot of organizational structures because there's the yeah. power dynamic is just so dysfunctional. Yeah. I don't know if and you this- challenge or see or see see something similar.
1: Yeah, there's and it's also the kind of I think one of the challenges is you're working with in an organizational structure, you're perhaps working with an organizational structure that's 20 or 30 or 50 years old, and people have progressed. So you've got someone who's like come in at say, I don't know, 18 and worked their way all the way up to like MD or whatever, or 50 or 40. Someone comes in at 18 and then you say to the MD, oh it turns out it's sort of non-hierarchical. Now it's all changing, and that's where you get the tension: is people feel bereft and they feel annoyed. An interesting, so an interesting example my analogy is: I went to Leeds Pride March recently, and um, amazing Pride March, loads of people, different like organisations, and there was this fantastic uh, organisation which was um, LGBTQ+ Youth in this like tiny, tiny area of Yorkshire. It was like the you know I don't know Kirklees Valley or something. And on the one hand i was so happy that these kids would have this thing and on the other hand i was so envious that there had been nothing like that when i was growing up and it's that again that tension between feeling kind of quite jealous or envious and i imagine there's a lot of you know maybe older or more established people who've been taught a certain way to behave at work they've had to suppress parts of themselves whether they wanted to or not and then these all new generation of people, or all new thinkers are coming in saying, Hey, no, it's cool, like just be yourself. I'd be so frustrated and think, Well, I've just what I've been doing for 20 years. So, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of that. And again, that's about talking and having those open, honest conversations and someone feeling able to say, I had to work my butt off for 20 years to get where I am. Why is it okay that that person doesn't? And actually allowing that to be a conversation and no one to judge them. Just thinking that oh, you're just being like i don't know a snotty old dude, or like thinking that millennials like a young upstart thinking they should have all this privilege before they you know they've earned it, It's having those conversations out in the open and not hiding away from those quite i suppose quite um, <laughs> I think my dad would call them rude feelings, <laughs> but those quite sort of you know um unpleasant and rude conversations that you might need to have.
0: Do you know some? But I think there's some common themes here, and I think you've, you've spoken a, a lot there to talk into like um, minority groups or maybe underrepresented groups. Mm. And I think the same solution, certainly from the people I speak to a lot in this podcast not, is this communication piece, which is actually how do you actually create the environment, the safe space to allow people to come in and say, actually, you are LGBT, I'm not. What does it? What does the world look like through your eyes? Or actually, you're black, I'm white. What is, you know? What barriers do you have that I don't have? You know. I just don't think we're giving ourselves the time or maybe even have the courage to have those conversations often as maybe we could do.
1: Absolutely. And to live that. So I think sometimes what happens is, you know, Oh, well, Tuesdays is my open door day, but Monday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, I'm an absolute pain in the ass. And I don't like talking to anyone. Like, You know, you've got to, I think this is it. It's similar with the vulnerability. You can't just perform that safe space. You can't just perform that open communication. It is a commitment, like a life commitment to that way of living. Like with nonviolent communication, when I, I'd read about it before, you know, something that was really interesting. And when we went to the training, one of the first things the trainer said was, this is not training about communication. This is a paradigm shift in how you perceive human relationships you know it's it's like that level of um understanding and i think it's more because we're all the sort of tactics we want people to do so the talk about your feelings have a safe space have an open dialogue they're almost like tactical what's underneath those is what you said before i totally agree with you everyone everyone on this planet is equal as Brene brown says everyone is worthy of love and belonging that we all have something to give, that we all have something of value. That is the fundamental shift. And once, one, I think once someone truly believes that, everything else becomes a lot, at least not really easy, at least kind of, you know, slightly less <laughs> difficult. But at the moment, I think there's a lot of people, maybe because of the politics and the economic, economic system that we inhabit, is that people just don't believe that. They do not believe that everyone has a voice that is valuable and so when you're coming from that place whatever you do on top of that is kind of just a bit like I don't know lipstick on a pig really you know it needs to be more like in the bone changed Mm -hmm. and that's why I think there is it feels like a generational shift because there is such a there has been that kind of um political conceptual divide between generations of like, oh well, we need to do it for us. It's about us. Then you've got a kind of transitional period and then a whole group of people going well, actually turning looking around, going, I think the world seems to be completely bollocks. We should probably like band together or help or something. So there is I feel like that's why it feels like a generation of proceed like a sea change, but it's actually not. I think it's about going, look around you and saying, think about who's helped you over your life and how many people have made so much difference to you. And then imagine that an entire planet full of those people. Like, that's what we've got. I think when people really fundamentally believe that, it's a lot, it becomes simpler, let's say, to have conversations where you say, I don't know, what is your opinion? Like, what's the world from, you know, your perspective?
0: And what did you get out of, because this nonviolent communication, is something, you know, it's like, you have a million books or a load of ideas. I've got lots of them. Yeah. I've not got round to this one. So, what, what what impacted you the most by going through that training in nonviolent? What is your sort of one or two biggest takeaways or or realisations for you? The big,
1: the the main kind of te- well, one of the main tenets is that every emotion that we express is related to a fundamental need that we have, and if we can hear the needs in each other, we are more likely to come to a solution. Mm-hmm. So you know they always give the example of like you come home and your partner hasn't done the washing up even though they said they would and you're like oh you never do the washing up it's so annoying like oh, I'm really pissed off I want a nice house do, and it's all about you're really angry but you're not connecting it to what you really need you're sort of just throwing out this like you never do this and pushing it away and nonviolent communication the biggest thing for me was to to look inside myself and say what is this about for me you know we have, we say that thing right that when people we always say oh it's not about you like it's their shit that they're bringing to the party but when you know that about yourself it's really helpful <laughs> so you know i can say oh i see that you haven't done the washing up i feel angry um because i want to come home to a clean house so i can relax and it's so simple but it's really hard for someone else to go oh well I don't want a clean house because I don't want you to relax that's you know everyone wants relax everyone wants relaxation just like everyone wants love or uh, support independence all these basic fundamental human needs that we all need but we go we go about achieving them in very very different ways and we can often have conflicting needs that then results in our behaviors kind of annoying ourselves or things like that so that was one of them is that all of our feelings are attached to a need and if we can articulate the need we can kind of connect better with each other the other thing that I really enjoyed as someone who's you know a word nerd is when often when we try and communicate feelings we don't actually say feelings we say things like I feel that this is a bad idea so that's not a feeling that's a thought that we've attached to the word the words I feel So they had this fantastic printout of just, I think it was about 200 feelings. Uh, And that was really, really great. To say things like, I feel enthusiastic, I feel joyful, I feel um, challenged, I feel... um," they, They got us to describe it even in kind of like physical sensations. I feel like when I feel this thing, I can't name it, but I feel hot and my eyes feel prickly. Just really diving into that, what is the specific thing? what is a specific emotional feeling you are experiencing makes a massive difference because you do have to be present. You do have to slow down, but also it stops you conflating these kind of cognitive problems with emotional problems, which comes back to my kind of point about when I'm working with people sometimes, self-employed people, especially, or, or business people of any kind really, but they will, have a feeling and emotion about something but they will conflate it with a cognitive challenge to almost rationalize it so like i feel really you know it's so annoying i feel really frustrated that no one seems to take part in these team building activities why don't they understand that you know it's good for the company and it's like do you just feel left out do you just feel that you're working hard do you feel unhappy because then when you have that, you can say, right, well, so what's the need? And we can try and sort that out rather than these kind of like modelled up. Um, you're trying to solve a problem and it's not even the thing you need to solve. It's... So those are the two things, really, the kind of the identification of the need and the articulation of a much more specific feeling and a true feeling, not a thought masquerading as a feeling.
0: What's so rich for me is that for, for people that listen to this podcast, uh, is, you know, everyone talks about the Gallup engagement statistics, one in three people being fully engaged for over a decade. Like You're speaking beautifully and so eloquently to what I think the fundamental problem is. is if people are running around in their head or they're not able to name their feelings or they're not able to realise why something's happening to them, you know, that's where the time goes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the it the- does.
1: And I, like, I, I recently... um. I recently had some some copywriting work that I was doing that I was kind of took on for you know a bit of extra money and, da, 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 da. and I realized that I didn't want to do it and the cognitive time that I was spent thinking about how much I didn't want to do it was almost like twice as much as the actual time it took to do the work but when I went when I said to myself right I'm going to sit with this I feel unhappy why do I feel unhappy because I need the time I, w- I need time to do xyz so I'll just get rid of this and it was like oh that makes sense whereas all of the fiddle around like oh I'm doing this thing and it's not enough and I can't do this and it's just it makes things much more complicated and often it's you know I've had a few clients say to me oh well I feel like I can't say I can't say something like I feel sad because it sounds too much like a child and I think people are really frightened of coming across as childlike when they express their feelings. But that is kind of who is talking. You know, when we have feelings, it's this very, very simple, very beautiful, very easily pleased and easily upset individual. And that's that, that little person within us, that little child. And it's all right to just sit at work and say, I feel sad today. You know, it doesn't matter if you sound like a seven year old, like, OK, that's great. So what, how could we make that seven year old happy? How could we help that seven-year-old be happy? And I think, yeah, I totally agree with you. People spend so much time thinking about thinking. Um, when if we spend a bit more time simply feeling and expressing that and trying to understand how we could, you know, negotiate that feeling and, and fulfill those needs, it can be a win-win situation. And, I, you know, I come from that as someone who was taught that thinking is, you know, the best thing since sliced bread and logic and rationality and justification are the you know the thing that we should do that's how I was brought up every opinion that we had from when I was a small child we had to justify it we had to show like why we thought that and we played loads of logic puzzles and it was all very much like in our heads so that my biggest journey personally through vulnerability has been going that's not who I am who I am at the heart of it is a feeling person and that has been a stronger guide for me and a better guide for me than any of the kind of cognitive um work and processing that I've done you know throughout my life and professionally as well you know there was a time like I think earlier this year or maybe late last year where I realized that every single professional decision I've ever made has been based in my intuition and how frightened I was of admitting that how I thought that would people were going to laugh at me, and people would say, oh, Well, how can you say that? And it's like, Well, because it's true. And they've some of them have worked, some of them have happened, but that you know, there is a there's, it's been a big, big journey for me to say that's why I say business witch because it is so intuitive and almost like supernatural sometimes in what I'm sensing and feeling and responding to from people. And there's no shame in that, there is no shame in having intuition as. Um, a data source, let's say. My my partner said something to me the other day, and he's he's one of these people who sometimes will just come out with like sort of a Buddhism level wisdom. And he just said, "Oh well, intuition is the knowledge you come to when you've exhausted everything else. Like it's so pure, and so, you know what I mean. It's kind of so far through it. How good is that, right?" He, <laughs> I'm like, "Wow, why I didn't write these things down."
0: It's do you know what, what What I'm grinning like a crazy Cheshire cat for those <laughs> that are listening, or are listening to us because I had what I call um, definitely not a crisis, Eleanor. I call it a midlife awakening three years ago, which, right, was, yeah. which was amplified last year age 41. And it was basically I went on a retreat, quality of mind, with a lovely guy called Pierce Thurston. And what I realized is that I burnt myself out three years ago because of all the stuff you just spoke oh. about. So I thought before that I was passed over for promotion, I wasn't good enough, I didn't deserve X. So this is a person who followed the, the channel that society had told me, get the car, get the house, get the, get the salary, got all of that, and I felt completely hollow on the inside. Yes. Literally hollow. And I was like, this is weird. So I, didn't, I wasn't hollow first, then tried to fit something. I strive for everything outside world I thought yep. wanted me to be. Got it all, and then went, why do I feel so empty? This is weird. And what Piers showed me last year is the spiritual nature of our human experience. So like now we're getting back to witchery, like I'm joining you on this broomstick. Yeah, not, <laughs> No, but really, because the thing is, like, I hope people hear this seriously because the, when we're talking spiritually, we're not talking woo woo, we're talking about there is something bigger than all of us.
1: Mm. And that
0: intuition piece is huge in that because what I didn't use, I did not trust myself with my intuition. Oh yeah, that's so, think, yeah. And I think so that's best. the big shift is actually, can I trust that gut? Or have the courage to believe that my body is telling me something and go with it, or am I going to logic the head out hell out of it and probably make more wrong decisions than right ones
1: absolutely and that like that trustworthy thing I think is a long journey because it's we are so quick to deny agency and um, our entire education system is set up in my mind rightly so to develop critical thinking like we absolutely need that if we don't have critical thinking we have things like where people believe politicians and everything they say and then things go quite badly but we need critical thinking but we also need to acknowledge that there is uh, a value in i don't know if you you know about um bloom's uh taxonomy of, of like knowledge it's like different it's like a pyramid um, and it's got different kind of layers they say of knowledge with the top one being this kind of like very very critical um, ability to analyze synthesize these are all the things so you kind of the base level is knowing as in something you fundamentally know and as I, so I was formerly a university lecturer and I'm starting some university teaching again and that was part of sort of our training as learning about this blooms, taxonomy and understanding that we're trying to get kids up to the top levels to be critical things and do that. And I remember looking at it and being like oh but I just think that bottom layer is really really important and you know increasingly people are recognising that there is a, a place for intuition, there's a place for all types of knowledge mm-hmm. I think it's taken a long time and there's a lot of people like yourself, like me, who've experienced their life and who've been taught that, that there is no place for that. And if anything, that needs to be shut up and avoided. Whereas it, for a, a huge number of people, um, and I think both of us have come to that realisation, is that is the guiding force. <laughs> and that, for me, I agree there is a, a, something greater. I quite like thinking of all the different ways people like to explain that whether it's kind of energy or Jungian subconscious, so collective subconscious or like scientific you know waves or whatever god i don't really care it's just like we know that we all know that but we just don't really like to pretend there isn't and that intuition having that almost it's almost like there's this big i hope this makes sense i like analogies it there's like a big soup all around us, and intuition for me is like having a bit of a straw. so it's not like you're just drinking it in all the time and you're not able to control your intake. The straw is kind of like you say, "Okay, I'm going to suck up a little bit and listen to it and understand it and taste it and see what it's like, and then make a decision rather than feeling kind of overwhelmed or, or washed over with everyone else's opinions and everyone else's feelings. It's just having that bit of a kind of um, controlled controlled intuition. So that, But yeah, I th- yeah I th- your story really, res- really resonates with me, particularly that phrase about I can trust myself, I am trustworthy. That's, yeah, I think that's a really difficult thing for a lot of people to come to.
0: Would you say, as we look to start to wrap up, honestly, I could talk to you all day. This, <laughs> There's something you wrote very recently on one of, um, is there I, is I a comment on LinkedIn or one of your own articles? And I just yeah. want to explore this with you. It's a beautiful comment. You stated, I believe connection will save the world. I want to speak to that a bit because I think it's a really powerful (laughs) statement but I'm really interested just to expand on that just a little bit before we head off.
1: So I think a lot of the problems we have are because we have become fundamentally disconnected from each other and from ourselves and from everything in fact so from the natural world from the made world, from other people, from our own sensations, our own feelings on every like micro and macro level. And I think what ends up happening is we become disconnected and so we feel isolated. There's a great um, Marxist geographer called David Harvey, who I really like, and he talks about um, neoliberalism as kind of creating these these hyper-individualised people with this whole set of neuroses. And like almost he calls it myopia. So you this, clo- this tiny, tiny closed mindedness of I'm special, I'm individual, I'm unique. And no one else understands me. No one else can relate to me. And when that happens is we start to make decisions based solely on ourselves. And solely on like the way we see the world. Which ends up having these kind of, in my mind, ends up having these very kind of narrow minded, often like right of center views because you're not making a decision with a community in mind. You're making a complex community in mind. You're making a decision based on literally just you. but like I want to own a gun so everyone should we have to be able to own guns. It's like you can't it's it's so fragmented and so disconnected and you start to do things like, well I don't understand how if I eat meat that affects these people over here because you're not connected to them anymore um there's a kind of part of marxism as well about the social life of objects so we we don't know how people make things anymore we're disconnected from making so we think things just appear which means they can just disappear and go into landfill and we don't care about them because we're so isolated from all of our experience and for me if we make those connections again reconnect that is what's going to save us So if we reconnect to how we feel, it will help us communicate better. If we reconnect to how we think, it will help us make better choices. If we reconnect to our neighbours, to our work colleagues, to the people immediately around us, it will help us make decisions that are better for everyone. And you expand that out bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a bit like, there's a, I think, was it the Headspace meditation app? I do not use it anymore, but I had this bit where it was like, oh, think of someone you like. And send them good vibes think of some someone you don't like and send them good vibes think of the room think of the city think of the world and it's just gradually increasing that level of connection and to me the that's why i kind of get frustrated if people are saying oh you know trump vote is this or brexit vote is that and like kind of demonizing and dehumanizing these people because the more that we do that, the less connected we are, and if we're not connected, we can't help to can't think to work together, we can't influence people, we can't make changes, and particularly for me around the the environment and the planet, the more disconnected we are from how the world operates and how it has operated long before we were here, the harder it is for us to make decisions that benefit that and and continue that and are sustainable so that's why you know I really do connect think connection. Is going to save us because it will help us come back to a place where we make decisions that is about all of us, not just surviving, but like genuinely being happy. All of us, not just an individual. Like that is a, you know, no mind as an island and all that, but also being an island is really fucking lonely. So connecting with people, that is how we, you know, you said about that hollow feeling. I imagine part of that hollow feeling was was um, removed by reconnecting with who you are and reconnecting with the people around you and I think people don't realize almost how easy it is
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it's just going it's not about all this other stuff it's about it's not about you it's about reconnecting and connecting and yeah I hope that explains why but yeah, I really... Lovely. That and creativity. That and creativity. And I think creativity for me is the way we're going to get there. About doing things differently. Thinking differently. Feeling differently. You know, approaching the world with a kind of this sideways artistic slant. But that's how we get to true connection. And it's like, Donald. you know, I always say about Donald Trump, people are like, oh, what would you do if you met him? And I'd say to him, I'm sorry you feel so sad. I'm sorry you feel so alone. Because that's what I see. And I think if people genuinely connected with each other a bit more on that level, even though it's hard, we would, we would, we will change the world. It will change
0: the world. I'm literally like, people, I get amazing guests. You're amazing, Eleanor. I love. <laughs> no, but it's real, genuine buzz because what you spoke to for me there, you said, you know, get back to connection." I think that's the fundamental thing for me. I truly, deeply believe we are all already connected and we've lost our yeah. way. We've lost yeah. our way to materialism, to individualization, to myopic focus on the wrong things. And I think we're now on our journey back to a, to this connection. So it's like, I call it almost like a re, it's a, I, I call it a reconnection on mass. I'm seeing it with the humans mm. first movement. I'm seeing it with black lives matter. I'm seeing it, you know, all these different like Greta Thunberg, you know, just all of these different movements. They're all part of the same thing, which is just a reawakening as to what we are and who we are.
1: Mm.
0: i genuinely believe that
1: yeah i i agree it is it's always been there it will always be there it's we'll just some people will just you just wake up i've definitely had it you just wake up one day and you go oh fuck. <laughs> that's what it is <laughs> it sounds so ridiculous but you go oh that's what it is and i think that's i completely agree with you it's reconnecting reconnecting absolutely it's already there it's just like getting that straw dipping back in jumping in jumping into the pool
0: that's beautiful and honestly i've got so many things to reflect on and how can people connect with you because i think there's going to be a lot of people listening to us that'll be interested to follow up the conversation sure
1: so my website um is ellenlessnare.com it's my full name if you google me that is me i am the only one on the internet um i am also on linkedin Eleanor snare and you can also find me on instagram at Eleanor snare i just keep saying my name a lot now and um, but if you find me on any of those channels i also have a newsletter that i write an email newsletter although i am making thinking of making some changes for 2020 and that i've realized that i want to do more things in the real world and more connection on a deep level in the in irl let's say than doing everything online and existing in this kind of slightly disconnected uh, way from people so but um yeah that's how you can find me google me and i'll be there you just and also just like send a crow into the night and i will find it <laughs>
0: amazing <laughs> that's a <the>
1: business witch <laughs>
0: <laughs> look you've been an absolute joy thank you so much for spending the time this morning and i'm looking forward to uh, hearing what people take away from the conversation in contact, Eleanor.
1: Nice to chat. Yes, me too. You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me. Okay, sure. see you later. Bye.
0: Yeah, bye. Hello there. Just Gary Turner wrapping up this awesome conversation with Eleanor Snare, affectionately known as the Business Witch. There's four things I just want to share with you, and I wonder if these resonated as much with you, the listener who kindly joined us today. And then I spoke to the fact that people spend so much time thinking about thinking, and she gave us that her own real life example where she realised that she didn't want to do a piece of work, but the amount of cognitive time that she took thinking about that she didn't want to do it was twice as much time as it would have taken to actually get the job done. That's where I lived for so long personally. <laughs> Um, in years gone by and it's part of the reason I burnt myself out as I've spoken about in the past as well is that that overthinking thing do not underestimate if you're listening to us now how much time you can lose um, to overthinking to procrastinating to fearing the what if it's not always easy to see it's not easy to spot but use somebody else contact me contact Eleanor contact a friend or a peer or a family member And just check in with yourself just to find out if what you're thinking, the time that you're spending is the best use of that time for you in the moment. Because I learned from Piers Thurston, I've got to give him a shout out again and his work on the quality of mind. You know, we we can lose so much time in our own thinking and it's so much better um, activities and so much better value we would be creating for ourselves and those around us. If we could just get out of our head more often. Also, Eleanor spoke about listening to someone and letting them have the feeling and not making it about you, just letting it be about them. And I really liked what she spoke about here, and I remember reading something along these lines in Brené Brown's Dare to Lead. You know, there's something about sitting in silence, giving your all, all of your presence to another human being and not needing to fill the air. Now, I've had jokes in the past that sometimes we can be guilty of needing to feel that blank space with noise because it's so uncomfortable to sit in silence or just to listen to somebody else um, from a place of deep presence. But give it a practice. Um, There's a bit of a tip there. It's something I continue to practice. It's not always easy. Um, But I had an experience last week with my good friend Colin Smith at an Odin meeting where we literally sat in silence, literal complete silence for up to six minutes at a time, waiting for someone to intuitively um, have a thought that they wanted to share with the group. I really loved Eleanor's description of vulnerability. It's actually one of my favorite of all of of these episodes of the 74 episodes so far. For Eleanor, vulnerability is allowing yourself to just be you in all you are and not making excuses or pretending. Just beautiful. This is something wonderfully, wonderfully present and accepting of oneself. Yeah. So just allowing yourself to be you in all that you are. I really hope that resonates with you. I think it's a really special description of vulnerability for me. Um, do drop us a note. I'd, lo- I'd love to know if this resonates with you, if you challenge it, or what your own description of the, as a listener would be of vulnerability. And finally, I really loved how Eleanor spoke about the, uh, this metaphor around the soup and that every now and again we suck on the straw of intuition from within that soup that surrounds us. And that's where we have these realisations or these moments of enlightenment. And I've certainly been grateful to experience a number of those myself um, over the last uh, nine months. So I really hope this conversation resonated with you. I hope that you took at least one thing away that can help you shift your own thinking, maybe get out of your head, maybe trust your your guts, trust your heart a little bit more than maybe you normally do. But whatever you take away, do let us know. It'd be really appreciated to, to know if this conversation resonated with you. So until next time, my name's Gary Turner. You can find me on at Turner 0 on Twitter, you can find me at my website, which is the listening organization, one word, .co.uk. And you can find all of Eleanor's contact details in the show notes. And until the three-quarter century um, on episode 75, we look forward to speaking you, to you then. And uh, wishing you a fantastic day and week and evening or morning, wherever you are in the world. Take care.